Welcome to the UC Architects, episode 48, recorded Sunday, February 15th, 2015. I'm your host, Link MVP, Pat Richard. Today I'm joined by uh, Johan Veldis, John Cook, Justin Morris, and Tom Arbuthnot. Uh, but first, uh, let's take care of a little bit of business. This UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime from Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at Team Instant. And this UC Architects episode is also sponsored by eNow. eNow is offering all UC Architects listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install Mailscape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. eNow's award-winning dashboard helps admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscope's free 21-day trial, get a $50 gift card, and see how eNow makes admin life simplified visit the link in the uh, summary page to sign up all right let's talk about uh, exchange topics first up is a new book written by our very own uh, steve goodman and uh, exchange mcm brian reed uh, about exam 70-342 the advanced solutions of exchange 2013 mcse Um, has anybody taken this exam oh yeah a while back, I hated it. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as 337 for Link, but it was pretty pretty lousy. 337 was pretty bad. Interesting. Um, do you recall some of the things that are covered? Uh... Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, there's a lot of stuff on, on servers on 365 on it, so that's one of the reasons why I kind of struggled with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's that was a, there was a lot of that on there, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah. But uh, in general stuff, HA and DAG and well, things of that nature. Okay, but more of the higher end. Definitely a lot of it. Yeah, definitely. You know, it builds on the on 341, and and uh, definitely more along the lines of um, advanced. You know, than more than just break fix, more design type stuff. But a lot of stuff on uh, on connecting the service and hybrid and stuff like that. Is it? Do, do you know if that that's not a required exam for MCSE though? Is it for, for MCSE messaging? Yeah. Oh, okay. Pretty sure, yeah. Been a while since I looked at it. Okay. Well, you know, uh, Steve was uh, scheduled to be here today, so unfortunately he couldn't make it, but um, um, he did. He's one of the co-authors of the book, so uh, check it out. It's available on uh, Amazon in uh, both paperback and uh, the Kindle version. So uh, next up, end-to-end email experience with uh, uh, groups. So, uh, John, tell us about what groups are. Whoa. Well, where do I start? Um you know, uh, groups, they ended this, I'm not sure, it's not been that long ago since they ended this to, to the service, right? So it's a way of, uh, you know, I think of it as sort of like sort of an expanding on distribution list, but it's more of a, you know, advanced distribution list in the sense that you can, you know, put together groups of people and have their, in on, on the tenant, you can see presence and stuff if you have link connected. Um, but it's just a way to manage, you know, people that are close to you in terms of a business relationship, Um and do, you know, mass mailings and stuff like that uh, between them. A little bit of collaboration. And it's based completely on Office 365, right? Doesn't it involve something with Office 365? Yeah, it's not It's not in the on-prem uh, version. Um, okay. And may or may not ever be as far as I know. I'm not, um, and, the, yeah, and there's some of the background stuff, like the background intelligence stuff that they're doing for, like, clutter, I think, has to do with it, um, allows it to be, you know, possible. But, okay. But uh, it could be cool if it was on-prem, that's for sure. 
Okay, well, Sam uh, Cops, he's one of the PMs at uh, on the Outlook team. He wrote a white paper, um, and it just came out in the last couple of days. So we'll have a link for it on the uh, the summary page. So interesting to see what they're doing there. Yeah, it's a cool feature. And again, like uh, like I said, from a you know from a link perspective, since I see all I've been thinking about lately is link. But um, you know, it's nice because you can you can start you know you can see presence there, and that's one thing that's missing still on the on-prem version of Outlook Web Access. Is you know really a good way to you know. Um, see and you know presence for people like we had in Exchange 2010. Oh, uh, you don't have that anymore. <laughs> you know, if you want to go to somebody's presence, you have to go into contacts, which kind of defeats the purpose. You know, you don't have a live list anymore. So, group setting is a good way to bring that back. Right. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, next up, considering updating your domain functional level from Windows 2013. So the uh, the, pro- the Exchange product group came out with this uh, blog post about this and. Uh, 2003, I I haven't seen a, a domain functional level that low in quite a while, but uh, uh, okay. So um, if you are thinking about changing your domain functional level from Windows 2003, you should probably read this uh, this blog that goes around some caveats about uh, Kerberos and, um, and Key Distribution Center and stuff like that to uh, take into account before you do that if you're using... Um, a, uh, Exchange 2013. And uh, next up, single-click mailbox conversion. I saw a bunch of this floating around the uh, the Twitterverse recently. Um, single-click? What's this about, John? Oh, well, it's a you know quick uh, way to convert a uh, user mailbox to a shared mailbox. I mean, basically, it's the gist of it. Um, and, 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 and back, so you share a mailbox to a user mailbox. I just don't remember offhand why was this a hassle before, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I think if I remember correctly, um, you know, there was more steps involved, um, than there are with this update, it looks like to me. Yeah, so now um, there's, so now put a blog up on it, yeah. Um, yeah, in EAC, there's now a link on the right side when you, when you look up a mailbox, right. um, to convert it to, a shared mailbox or back to a user mailbox. So, right, which is cool because that's something you do, you know, quite a bit, um, especially with you know meeting rooms. I, I do that quite a bit for meeting rooms for link and stuff. So, right, and of course, shared Very mailboxes handy. are much better than public folders. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of uh, public folders, uh, accessing uh, Exchange 2013 public folders in a hybrid setup. So. Um, I can't imagine that this is going to be uh, very pretty, especially for the users on the cloud itself. Of course, uh, Steve wrote a pretty good article on it on um, TechTarget, uh, and he's not here today to uh, to kind of carry on with it. So we'll definitely have a link to it on the, the summary article. And our last exchange topic uh, today, multiple vendors, uh, virtual directories in Exchange 2013 on the CAS role. So... When would we need multiple vendors for something? John, do you have a a scenario or? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Greg Taylor wrote this, um, um, and there's been a lot of things back and forth about you know whether it was supported over the years and stuff like that. Um, uh, my use case that I've seen people, you know, if you have, like you say in a hosting kind of scenario where you want to have you know personalized landing pages or whatever for OWA um, for different clients on the same server. Um, you know, you could have multiple beaters for that and change things accordingly. Um, but, you know, off, off one cast server. Okay, yeah, because I, I remember the only thing I've ever done was, you know, deleting beaters and recreating them and things like that. But um, 
you could change like your authentication settings for one for internal versus external or something. Right. Like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, anything you want to do to kind of isolate and separate and make it, you know, multiple copies of a, of the beaters for different reasons. This, you know, kind of gives you guidance on doing that and some, and there's some specific stuff in there. So if you're planning on doing it, you definitely should read the article because, um, you know, there's some things that remember like the default, you know, uh, 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 site needs to be certain settings, you know, all this PowerShell might not work, so definitely have a look at the article if you are brave enough to try to do something like this. <laughs> well, you know, if if Greg wrote the article, I'm sure it's uh, spot on, so... Yeah, it looks looks pretty thorough, and uh, like I said, I think it's you know, it's been back and forth for, for a long time, um, so it's good to get some guidance on, on this. Okay, excellent. Uh, Office 365, so two Azure AD Premium features coming to uh, all subscribers... And, um, Johan, what's this about? Yeah, so <clears throat> I uh, read the article, and it looks like uh, the, the public roadmap has uh, changed uh, this weekend. And uh, one of the features is that we're now allowing or rolling out users to modify their login page. So normally, if you're using Office 365, you get the default login page, and now you might be able to, fi- to fix it or to, to modify it. It will be rolled out uh, you know, in next coming months, um, as far as I have read. Uh, another feature is that um, a feature is introduced to uh, let end users reset their password using the uh, um, Office 365 login page. It requires the AD uh, premium um, license, so it will cost you additional money, but you're getting some additional features for it, so it should be considered by companies who are looking for this feature. Okay, good. good. Yeah, Salesforce password reset. Uh, that's a nice ad for sure. And I, I, I can see, see the branding being, a, being the customized branding being a um, a big win for a lot of people because I know that's you know the, the, the whole redirection thing. I mean, it is what it is, but you know, it works well. It's just sometimes it's confusing for people, especially um, if you um, are like some people I know who use Macs. Sometimes that redirection doesn't play very well in Safari, Safari from time to time. But <laughs> right. You know, and speaking of uh, of new things, things that have changed for Office 365, the uh, Office product group came out with a, a pretty cool uh, article about what's new in all the Office products. Um, it came out, I think, last month. Oh, actually, it came out a couple of days ago. And it basically goes through, like, uh, 20 different things that have changed, um, including uh, a lot of changes for mobile devices for dealing with different Office applications, Um you can get Office now on Android devices, um, some updates for Outlook on uh, iOS, um, saving Outlook.com email attachments, uh, password-protected sections of OneNote from the Windows Phone Store app, um, all kinds of all kinds of stuff. So we'll we'll definitely uh, it's definitely a good read. Includes a bunch of stuff about Office 365 for business. Um, um, especially around OneDrive for Business and things like that. So definitely give it a good read. There's a lot of information about um, about different things that uh, that got updated here. Next up, uh, link topics. Uh, there's a new client out for – I'm sorry, a new update out for um, the Link 2013 client. came out on February 10th. Um, we'll have a link to the KB article on uh, – on the summary page, but basically uh, some improvements around uh, conversation windows that open, like the, you, you double click on a conversation window, it opens up the wrong one, that issue's been fixed, um, and some issues around uh, partial instant messaging from the conversation history, that appears to be resolved too. So 
if you get a chance, take a look at the, the KP article and update your client. Yeah, along that, um, Next Hop is not being updated anymore, right? Right. Yeah, because I, because I there was a, a list of you know there was a for a long time they maintained a cumulative updates list of you know dates and version numbers and stuff, and I actually use that uh, all the time to generate a, a port report um, for client versions logging in. Um, does anyone know of a better new? Because they stopped the last uh, update was on November four, you know, for the November uh, 2014 update, uh, client update. Is there a better page now that anyone uses to you know get a list of versions and release dates? RSS feeds, I think, but that's my personal opinion. Sometimes you see that uh, new knowledge base articles are published, and after that, the update is being published very soon. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I do. I I agree with you. Sometimes the the overview page doesn't give you a clear overview what's the latest updates, or sometimes it takes some days before it's um, updated. Yeah, because what I do is I generate a, a report and then you know um, kind of filter by you know who's the oldest. You know, show people like what clients are out there. You know, and, and, you know, like every week you still have some RTM clients. You're like, why why do we still have RTM clients? Why is nobody updating their machines? Yeah. Create a script for it <laughs> to, to get an overview. That's I think that's well, then, uh, that then, could then, be uh, Yeah, and the, well, the script that I'm using, of course, is uh, some some guy wrote it, the client connection script. I don't, I don't know if anyone's heard of this Pat Richard yeah. guy, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, you I, can, I, yeah, you can use that script <laughs> and use that. I use it uh, all the time. And it's funny too because I also I, we use it to catch like uh, these chuckleheads using Sipe. Um, you know, for Linux, and then, you mm-hmm. know, there's the, that, that guidance that somebody did, because basically what they were trying to do is trick the uh, version filter, right? So, but so, somebody got it, like, in their heads, like, if you look around on it, because I, I never even, you know, I don't really, I don't use Linux, so I was kind of investigating this, and you see people, like, they read some, some guys wrote an article, like, hey, to get it to work, you have to put in this user agent string, right? And, and you know, and so people started doing that, and I think it became, like, actual, like, a, like the mantra for getting Sipe to work to, like, you know, put this user agent string in. But so you get people, you catch them, like, you know, they put in, like, a user agent on an ancient client, and it's like, um, guys, you know, if you're going to do that, which you don't need to do, by the way, if you're going to do that, you know, at least put in a new client number <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. There's the, 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 I get a lot of comments about that script and the things that people have discovered about their environments as far as what people are using, just like you said, you know, a Linux client or something like that. And they're thinking about, you know, the organization is thinking about tightening down that the uh, client uh, version rules and things like that. And they want to figure out who's using what. Um, and, yeah, in our know, case, we it, use it to, to filter, you know, to identify people that just are not, you know, who haven't updated in like forever, you know. So we can yep. single them out and say, hey, you, you know, you need to upgrade your client. Right, because it'll, it'll show you uh, all the different versions connecting, and then you, you can filter based on a single version and show the users and makes life a little bit easier. So It's also handy to catch people using, like, you know, uh, unsupported versions of, like, mobile OSs, too. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, like, ah, you're not supposed to be using that. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, oh, yeah, I've actually... heard... Go ahead, sir. I was going to say, I, you know, I've heard of, you know, there's been issues where a mobile uh, client update comes out and it, it potentially has some issues. And so the organization wants to find out quickly, is anybody uh, connecting with that version? And if so, who it is so that they can track it down and see if that person's experiencing, you know, a newly discovered issue. Yeah, and I think I've asked you this uh, a while back offline, too. Is there any way, and this is a total, you know, uh, no. aside, but <laughs> is there any way to identify, like, number of, like, say, you know, CX phones by model or VBX phones by model, 
you know, because the, the way that I think you actually can because it's a different user agent, but there's no way, like, you know, it basically it reports them all as OC phone, right? So is there any way that you can think of, like, well, you should be able to identify them. Uh, yeah, the agent string shows up as OC phone, and you can you can look at the version number, but I don't think you can I don't think it re, you can find out it you who's model, using right? right. Like I don't think you can see who's using a CX six hundred versus a right. seven hundred. Actually, I have a request to have that done, so I have to try to figure oh, out no. if that's possible. Oh, no. No, yeah, because I don't I don't know that that gets reported. I I seem to recall right. I looked into this and I I couldn't find if that was being stored anywhere. It's in the reporting. It's in the. It's in. It's in yeah, the it's, you know, CDR data though. So it's yeah. going to be oh, yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so actually, I have, I'll, I'll yeah, but, what, I'll but the script doesn't connect to any of the CDR databases. Um, gotcha. So yeah. I'm thinking about this on the fly. Yeah, I'm thinking it's in CDR because what I can remember from engagement with with customers, um, we do recognize the different types of uh for example hardware versions uh from the cx300 you sometimes see cx300 version one two and three so okay. there is some differentiation but not i think it's on hardware level it's not on exactly on version level yeah because like rask but in, in the, i think it's that data too so maybe maybe i'll look through and see how rask does it find yeah it. let me know what you find out um yeah and we'll have to see too if it changes with cool. Skype for Business as well. So, um, cool. Okay. So I think I think Vic's Link Insights script pulls all the details from CDR, and I think Ooh. that pulls the the, yeah. the yes. device field as but, well. But see, here's here's the problem: the CDR data is going to be after the fact. I think. Um, Oh yeah, it totally is. Yeah, it'll be close yeah. If your objective is to find out who's connecting with what in the last week, you'd grab that from CDR. Yeah, right, right. But from a get CS connections perspective, real time data, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. At least thinking about it depends. Not with you quite a lot of work. I guess the registration would happen before. Well, it would be a lot of work. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. A project. Um, all right, next up, the utility that we all love, CIFA Util. And uh, Adam Jacobs over at Polycom uh, wrote a, uh, a blog article about using CIFA Util for shared line appearance in uh, boss admin scenarios. Um, I hate this utility. I hate it with a passion. I think it's, I think it's a, I, you know, and I'm sorry. I know that somebody worked very hard on it at Microsoft, but I think it's a complete pile of crap. Um, mainly very because hard. it's got to be a stretch. Why? <laughs> well, for, for one, for one, the syntax is completely uh, yeah, it's bizarre. Completely world. jacked up. Uh, there's no error reporting. It's uh, um, it's a it's a resource kit utility, which means one, it's unsupported technically. The deployment requirements to get it in your environment are um, robust to say the least. They still want you to have it on a, a non front end machine, a dedicated machine. Um, mm. I, yeah, Is go ahead. True? It is true. Is that true? Is that true? It is true because I did ask. It was explicitly said in Link 2010, and I went back a couple months ago and asked somebody at Microsoft if that guidance has changed, and I was told it it has not changed, that it is not recommended or supported oh. to put it on a front-end machine. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
um, well, which I, makes I, it I difficult. I, I, yeah, I, I thought I read it something else a few weeks back, but, but I, will, I, will, I, will, I will find it out in the wall. We'll update to tell you guys. Well, I, I can tell you, Johan, that you know the only time I ever use it, I use your Sifa Util GUI script. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I know we've yeah. talked about that here on an episode before, but um, you know that that at least takes a lot of the pain out of using this utility. I mean, you still have to deploy it, set it up. It's it's kind of a, a quite a process to get it up and running and, and things like yeah. that. But um, mm-hmm. so tell us about you know why is Sifa Util so slow? I mean, you've worked with it a lot. Yeah. So why is Cfiutil slow? Well, it is slow because for each action it does a sign in for the user account. So when you change something and you will, um, for example, switch on SIP uh, stack and S4 logging, you will see that Cfiutil actually tries to sign in as a user, downloads all the settings, and then re-uploads the settings, um, and it uploads it. Routing session that's a uh, routing settings as it's called, and then signed out, and that's why it's taking uh, so long. So a few weeks back, I received uh, an email from uh, from one of our listeners, uh, and also a famous uh, a link MVP, I think. Uh, it's Greg, Greg from Sydney. He's uh, calling oh, his blog. Yeah. Yeah, Greg Sheridan. So he, he pointed me to, to a blog of someone else who wrote a tool for uh, f- for some other things to which directly query SQL. So I started looking at it and and I'm currently busy. It's almost finished um, with the next version of Cfiutil GUI, which directly sequ- uh, queries SQL for all the settings. And it well well it saves you several seconds to view the settings. So I contacted the product group to know the portability about writing back settings because it's, uh, from what I found out, is just our tables which are being modified. So if I could, could simply change the SQL value or the SQL table, it will, well, it would save, well, sometimes minutes uh, of work because it sometimes is really slow. So I've got an official stand point from them that it's not supported so unfortunately I couldn't uh, update the utility to also update the values in the table directly so I'm, I'm currently looking to find a product manager who's responsible for this uh, utility uh, to ask him okay are there any plans to do with several utility in Skype for business because it's a utility which a lot of people are using and a lot of people are complaining about so let's try and make it better because it it could be fairly easy from my point of view, but that from my point of view, I'm not not a developer, so yeah, and I think it, it is core functionality really. So we all get by with using that Cefutil and scripts and stuff, so it's not a huge pain. But at enterprise scale, controlling people's forwards and unanswered and everything remotely on the back end is an absolute requirement. So, you know, we mask the pain the best we can with our scripts, but I mean, Cefiutil is unsupported and messing with the database is unsupported. So I yeah. guess it's a case of how unsupported you want to go, really. Right. Yeah, like you're saying, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a key, it's a core utility. I mean, it's just so funny about it, right? It's like, you know, it's like, well, we have to use this in front for a lot of things. And, you know, it's, you know, something that, you know, you think should be in the product, you know what I mean? Somewhere, not just in this bizarre old utility, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, well, I won't go into detail which things I discovered when querying SQL. I just don't gotta tell it because, yeah, sometimes really strange things are happening uh, when using Cepheutil to write back to the database, and it all works. But sometimes it well, it could be far more optimized from my point of view. So, yeah, for example, one of the of the things is with the team calls. If you disable team calls and you will enable it again, it will simply enable it with your previous team members. That's one of the things because disabling the team uh, option doesn't remove your team uh, members from the team from from the team you created, and that's just one of the things. So. If you're going to use it uh, via the command line, please verify which settings have been modified by running the query mo the query mode. Um, I'm planning to to fix all those uh, those things in the next version uh, of my Cepheutil GUI, so it will clean up all values uh, the way it should do. Excellent. Yeah, I did, I, uh, I have some environments where I have a management server and have. CPUtil uh, set up on there, and I, I did uh, copy the version that you sent me, but I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. But no I, I, I found myself uh, using CPUtil far more often once your GUI script came out because the syntax uh, used to drive me nuts. And um, you know, who wants to have to sit there and look up all you know some syntax examples if you only use it say once a month? When you can have, you know, a checkbox or, a, you know, a button to push that that basically provides the same thing. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's definitely uh, saved us a lot. And, and the fact that you have to use CFUtil to do some stuff, I think, with, um, you know, team calling or call pickup groups or something. I, I forget what it is off the top of my head, but, you know, you would think that Microsoft would invest a little bit more into. Um, the capabilities of what this can do. I mean, if you look at the uh, link.ideascale.com site where people submit ideas for link, that's one of the top uh, um, yeah. suggestions is, you know, convert it to core PowerShell commandlets or put it in the control panel or both. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think uh, life would be a lot easier if you if that was the case because you would basically remove um, some of the dependencies on having a trusted application and a dedicated machine, as well as having more standardized uh, syntax and and probably some better uh, error reporting. Um, so, but uh, thanks. I'm looking forward to playing with uh, uh, the next version and yeah, seeing what uh, yeah, definitely. Especially when a user calls in, you know, and says, hey, you know, I just went on vacation. I forgot to set my call forwarding. Uh, I'm on the road or whatever and can't log in. Can you fix it for me? And, you know, that's really the solution to use. So, mm -hmm. all right. Next up, uh, the uh, Jabra Evolve 80 headset. So who has one of these? Anybody? Am I the only one so yeah, far? I've got one. Oh, okay. Tom's got one. So Jabra came out with this uh, this headset, the Evolve 80. It's uh, it's gaining in popularity. Um, I'm actually using it right now to record this episode. Uh, it looks kind of like one of those Beats audio headsets, I guess is the best uh, description I, I can give. Uh, but it's it's pretty cool, and I, I really like it. The nice feature, one of the nice features in it is active noise canceling. So if you're in a noisy environment, especially something that has a fairly consistent noise level, um, this really, really does a pretty good job of removing that so that you don't hear it. Um, uh, very nice. It's got a, uh, a nice little control unit in the middle of the cord with your uh, volume control unit or your volume controls, your uh, mute button, your hook, 
uh, button, things like that. Uh, what's really nice too is you can disconnect the headset from that control unit and and plug it into something like your mobile phone. You can plug it into your MP3 player or whatever, listen to your music. It's got some pretty good sound to it on top of the active noise canceling. Um, nice little um, uh, thin microphone that uh, flips down, uh, big button on the side for uh, for your hook switch, uh, and a presence indicator for when you're busy. It lights up red, kind of like the, uh, the H, um, 820 headset from Logitech. Um, very cool. I've, I've been very impressed with it. I've used it on a number of calls. Um, I, I guess I really can't um, speak too highly about it, um, with one exception. And unfortunately, I have kind of a, uh, a large uh, melon, and uh, this thing squeezes my head till my <laughs> eyes pop out. So I can wear it for about an hour or so, and then it st- starts to drive me nuts. But uh, other people that have uh, more normal-sized skulls uh, don't seem to have this problem. But, uh, Tom, what do you think of yours? I've been pretty impressed with it, too. It's, uh, it's, it's not my everyday headset, um, but certainly if I know I'm going into a noisy open-plan office or, um, like, I've used it a couple of times at Starbucks and stuff just to cancel stuff out, um, you do have to be ready to either be in an environment where they think that Beats headsets are cool in the kind of new media company, that that's really fashionable. If you're in more of a traditional company, be prepared to get some odd looks around having a kind of red-rimmed headset. Um, but certainly the active noise cancelling is, is insanely good, and like that's something I haven't seen on any other Link headset. So if, if that's a feature you're after, um, and also just the music uh, reproduction in the headset's really decent too as well. So if, if music and noise cancelling are what you're after, and it's the Link headset, then uh, yes, yeah, definitely one to look at. Yeah, one thing um, I noticed, and I've noticed this in a couple other headsets in the past, uh, is uh, you put it on, you start using it, and you realize that you don't really hear your own voice very well. Um, and it's not like, you know, I have to hear my own, hear myself talk, but uh, you don't realize what a distraction that is until, until you don't hear your own voice. And, uh, you know, the hardcore telecom people's re- uh, people refer to this as uh, side tone. And um, Jonathan McKinney, one of the Link MVPs and Link MCMs, um, was talking with a coworker and figured out you can adjust this in your Windows sound settings. And he wrote a, uh, a pretty informative little uh, blog article on how to adjust this so that uh, the side tone is a little bit louder and a little more um, uh, matches a little more what some of the other headsets on the market uh, uh, give you. So uh, we'll have a link for that as well. Yeah, I was going to bring up... Uh uh, his review, uh, Jonathan's review. But yeah, everyone that, that's got one, I think Stalley got one and was raving about it too. Um, everyone that's got one loves it. So my thing is, I, yeah, it's weird, it's weird for me not to be able to hear. I always feel like someone's going to come behind me and hit me in the head with a pipe or something. So <laughs> I want to hear what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, I have noticed um, we have uh, somebody internally that um, that was using one at a coffee shop and he we as participants on the meeting could hear some of the background noise, but he couldn't hear it at all, Hmm. uh, which was kind of interesting. And I've only seen that, or I've only noticed that one time, every other time it's, it's been very well. Um, It's been very effective. So, you know, like Tom said, it's, it's insane how good the noise canceling is. If it didn't squeeze my skull, like it was going to, you know, make me a hurl. Um, it would be the perfect headset. It really would. So uh, maybe I just need to take it down and uh, stretch this uh, this band out a little bit. But uh, very good stuff from Jabra. So uh, job well done. Next up, the Link Validator. 
Um, yeah, this is a very cool tool. I, I give yeah, a lot of, I, a lot oh, of yeah, uh, credit to uh, to Richard uh, Brineson and uh, Michael Lamontagne, who maintain this uh, online service. Um, it's very very cool. If you've never if you've never checked it out, linkvalidator.com. Um, you can plug in all your information about an environment you're you're going to build or you are building or have built, and it will validate pretty much most of the settings that you need. It'll spit out all your required DNS records, whether they're internal or external, uh, firewall settings, um, you know everything, all your QoS settings, everything. It's very cool. And uh, they just came out with a bunch of new features for it, and Richard wrote a pretty good uh, blog post about it. One of the things they added for it is uh, service monitoring. So it will actually monitor um, DNS records, ports, certificates, things like that that can be accessed externally and notify you if they go down or certificates uh, expiring or has expired. Um, Some really cool settings there. Um, Yeah, I I was going to... Uh, add that too. I mean, I you know. Um, well, I also I will preface. Um, you know, it does cost Richard uh, and Michael money to some of the stuff is, is based on Azure. So please donate because I'd like to see the kid continue to be. I mean, I donated for sure. Um, but um, but it's really awesome, and it's not kind of my go-to design tool now. Uh, when I want to build up a new environment, I, I kind of plug everything in there. So it allows me to like sort of model everything, and you know, and obviously, like you said, spit out the firewall rules, DNS entries, all that stuff. You know, and reminders of things that I may have forgotten. You know, for normal build. Um, and I use it uh, for some people, you know, I, that I uh, have installed Link as I use the monitoring service uh, quite a bit. Um, he made some changes recently to the monitoring piece too, because uh, one of them was if you're using a wildcard and proxy, it would, it would, you know, kind of alert you and say it was down because it didn't like that. So he made some, made a change to allow an exception for that. So you can kind of turn things on, some of the functionality on and off. If you have like a non-standard environment or something that you know is, you know, know is not right, but you have to live with it. You can turn some of these things off so you don't have to constantly get, you know, an alert saying it's busted. But um, really, really awesome tool. I can't, I can't stress enough that, uh, um, you know, and again, it's funny because I, because I, I literally. Um, was designing an environment the other day. I used it, and then as a backup to get, you know, kind of a, you know, Visio, whatever. I used the, you know, our favorite planning tool, right, the Link 2013 planning tool, which I got like, you know, like all the way through and had the diagram done, and the thing crashed, and the XML file was totally, you know, corrupted, and I wasted all this time with the planning tool, and I'm like, see, this is why I don't use you anymore, man. Well, you <laughs> know, to, you, <laughs> you know, talking about the the XML file. The link validator allows you to take a link, import it, I know. A, t- a topology yeah. file, and import it, and then tweak things, um, yeah. settings that are not contained in the topology file, like um, you know some of your external um, IP addresses and uh, things like that, and then run it through a validator, and it will spit out some things based on best practices about you know hey you have uh, multiple front end pools that are primary for DNS, you know you probably don't want to do that. Um, and things like that. But some other cool features are it will tell you here is what needs to go in your host file on your edge servers, and here's what needs to go in your host file on your reverse proxy, and here is the uh, command lines to create all the DNS records. You basically copy and paste it into um, um, a DNS Windows DNS server. It'll create all the DNS records. Um, here is the PowerShell to create all your QoS stuff. Um, you know, some really yeah, cool, very well, side, you know, registry keys and stuff too. Yeah, some very well-rounded uh, features. I mean, obviously, it's it's not going to take every step out of uh, what you need to do for a deployment, uh, but it's a good sanity check, like you said, John. Um, I've definitely, um, you know, 
uh, brought up a, a topology file in it just to make sure I had uh, my list of DNS records right or or <laughs> whatever the case may be. But getting yeah, back to you, uh, uh, go ahead. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's funny about the the, the import the the, the TBMXML TBXML. Well, like I don't know what it was. I, I I never saw that button, even though it's right there in your face. And I actually was emailing Richard, and he's like, you know, you can import the does your topology into, into the thing. I'm like, you can. I'm like, duh. <laughs> so it's a really it's a really handy tool. And one thing, you know, over the planning tool is that the planning tool is limited to three front ends. So like, if you have a big environment, you can't even like you know really use it to plug in multiple. Uh, um, uh, front ends either. So that's, that's one thing that the validator will do in terms of modeling that you can't do anywhere else. Again, really, really love it. Right. Right, man. <laughs> right. It, um, it, uh, it does support up to four SIP domains. Um, and getting back to your comment about, uh, donations, there is a difference between whether you donate or whether you don't. Um, the one is from a monitoring perspective. Uh, if you don't donate, it, it will monitor a single site. Um, right. And if you do donate, I think you can get up to 10 sites. Um, and um, shared deployments. Oh, so you, what you can do is you can log in with your Microsoft ID. You can upload. You can have a bunch of different environments defined there, and you can go back at any time and look them back, you know, uh, uh, go through and make changes and things like that. And um, the if you donate, you get the ability of sharing those deployments amongst other people that you uh, that you dictate. So right, I'm doing it now actually with a for somebody. I, you know, it's a small deployment, and I added. Um, you just they just got to log in one time with their Microsoft account, and then you can add them, so they'll, they'll get alerts and stuff. It's, it's and I'll make changes if you want to let them you know, do that, but. Um, it's that's a cool feature too. Yeah, and like you said, John, you should donate. Just like uh, Ken Lasko's uh, uh, dial plan optimizer, um, you know, it's not breaking the bank for these guys to uh, have these services out there as far as Azure uh, costs and things like that. But it is a lot of hard work. I can tell you, we spend a lot of hard work in some of the stuff that we do, um, and I think it's only right that you, you know throw five bucks or ten bucks or whatever uh, their way to uh, help them out. If you don't, you're a deadbeat. Um, next up, and I, I say that jokingly, of course, um, a really cool script I saw the other day called um, the Lincoln Skype for Business User Manager. This is a PowerShell script. It's GUI-based that bigs, uh, brings up a big screen that allows you to kind of add a user and do all of the user provisioning pretty much in one spot. So from an Active Directory uh, user perspective, as well as link, all the policies, everything all on one screen. You can also configure the user for Exchange, like uh, unified messaging, um, configure their uh, primary SMTP address, everything all from one screen in a PowerShell GUI script. So. Um, uh, very cool. Um, look for a link on the uh, summary page. Yeah, I had to play with this. This actually is really cool. Although I, I was having a hard time in one environment. I uh, it to connect it to AD, and I didn't get past that. But uh, um, very, very cool tool. But did, you tell, did you tell him you were having a problem? Well, not yet. I want to make sure it wasn't user error. <laughs> okay. I went and said your script doesn't work. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the same thing I tell everybody else. If you don't tell me there's a problem, there is no problem. Yep, I hear you. No, um, and I, I was I had plans on trying this in some other environments to make sure it was just not something in my lab. But uh, no, cool. It's similar like that. There's a, the, the link uh, user manager to Lumpty that came out a while back. It's you know sort of uh, in the vein of that, but very cool, uh, ambitious tool. I, I like it a lot because you know you'd be surprised in some environments I come across where like they have no you know like no automated provisioning. Um, um, 
type scenario, right? So, like, you know, you get a help desk ticket that, you know, enables some of your link after they've been onboarded from an AD perspective. Like, well, can't we do this automated somehow? Why am I, you know, why do I got to do it every time someone joins on, right? So this is, definitely will help that kind of scenario. Yeah, I've seen a, uh, a couple of tools similar to this. Um, Unimax have one called, uh, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but, yeah, it's like a similar app that allows you to populate everything from one place. Um, and like you said, John, there's, there's tons of organizations out there that don't have uh, provisioning set up. Yeah, I've I've actually written some scripts too. They uh, unfortunately they tend to be one-off stuff um, for doing a lot of those pad uh, a lot of those tasks. Um, it's nice to see this as a uh, as a, a one-stop shop to kind of take care of uh, of most of the things. So, all right, next up, um, there is a new update out for Office Web App Server, our the redheaded stepchild of the Link environments. <laughs> I like to make fun of it, uh, mainly because it's a SharePoint component, really, and not really a link piece. But we use it in link for um, uh, presenting um, PowerPoint files. But it's also used in Exchange and uh, SharePoint as well. There is a new um, update out. It came out a couple weeks ago. Um, improves the localization um, around multiple uh, languages. So if you have multiple language packs installed, it, uh, the detection about uh, which language packs should be used uh, is a little bit better. Um, there's a little bit uh, of improvement around uh, the PowerPoint web piece so that you can record and screen uh, the screen and uh, inking actions in a slideshow. So And a couple of other stability uh, changes. So... Um, it's uh, it's like a 805 meg file, if I remember. I I've uh, uh, been working with it to put it in my prereq script. Um, the the usual patching scenario still is required. You still have to remove an Office Web App Server from the farm and uh, patch it, and then add it back into the farm. Um, of course, if it's only one server in the farm, then when you remove it from the farm. Um, then uh, the farm goes away and you have to recreate it. But if you've got multiple servers in the farm, just patch one at a time um, and then uh, and then you're good. Next up, Tom, tell us about the automatic fortune cookie utility. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. So this is um, a, a tool someone's created, a guy called uh, Zachary Lieber, I assume, um, for a good client of Chicago. Um, and he's used the link client-side SDK to create a little PowerShell script that pushes a bunch of um, quotes into the personal notes. So you can load up a whole bunch of uh, notes or fortunes or quotes, whatever you want, set this script off to, to predetermine period, put the uh, the different notes in your, your note field in link. Um, I thought this was a really cool example of the what the client-side SDK can do. Okay, and of course, um, in order for somebody to see your note, they have to be a colleague or higher, right, as far as a privacy relationship setting in the link client. So if you right-click on a client and say uh, change privacy or relationship, um, colleagues, work group, and family and friend can see your note. External contacts uh, cannot by default, if I remember correctly. But yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's more of an internal thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By default, yes, definitely. Um, some, some. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. He also came out with another utility, I think, around the same time, um, called the local and site-to-site dial plan GUI script, 
which allows you uh, a better view, I think, into dealing with your dial plans and stuff. I haven't had a chance to play with this, have you? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played with it yet, but it's uh, essentially a tool to create those um, short dials between sites. So if you've got a site with lots of four-digit dials and you want to automatically generate those in dial plans and, and voice policies and such, it's a GUI-driven tool where you can populate your sites. Yeah, in I actually, I'm, I'm planning on testing this out shortly because I... It's something I need. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool. It's another, another good example of a combination of PowerShell and GUI as well. It uh, looks pretty smart. You know, and, and, and speaking of GUI scripts, because we've talked about several of them here today, um, you know, one of the issues that uh, that sometimes comes up is you have uh, admins that are going to need to run these that don't have a clue as to using PowerShell. And... Um, so just as a quick side note, tomorrow, I believe, Monday, um, I have a blog article coming out on how to easily create a shortcut that a user can double-click on to bring up a, a GUI-based PowerShell script so they don't have to uh, launch a console session and then navigate to where the script is, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, next up, the Link Server Cookbook. Uh, we're going to give this a mention. Uh, Four of uh, four link professionals out in the in the field uh, came up with uh, a pretty good book. I'm about two thirds the way through it. Uh, we'll have a review of it on uh, on a future episode. But um, um, some pretty cool stuff in this book about um, security and um, you know like two factor auth as well as um, FIM and ADFS and hybrid and uh, as well as some really cool tips on how to um, how to manage and deploy link so check it out packed books uh we'll have a link on the summary page um uh but so far it's it's been a pretty good read yeah no I, i'm gonna throw in my way i bought it myself um when they announced it um really good stuff in there um everything from you know deployment tips tips and like that a lot of uh, asides and things from other people around the, the community it's really really good stuff and actually you know in, in total practical thing i they talked about in one of the chapters. They talked about a, a really cool um, uh, regex tool called Express, Expresso, which I had never heard of. It, it's you know, and there's a lot of you know regex, regex type tools out there, but a lot of them I, I find confusing. This one is actually pretty solid. I mean, so if you you know look at the the book, there's a link to it. Expresso uh, um, regex tool. It's, I, it's like you know one thing I never heard of, and you know I looked at the book. I'm like, hey, something like, <laughs> I just learned something like in two seconds. So yeah, it's good stuff. Like I said, I'm two thirds the way through, and it's 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 a really good book. Uh, okay, Justin, Skype for Business notes from the Office 365 Summit. You took a look through this, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, one gentleman over in Europe has recently attended the Office 365 Summit in Amsterdam um, and has been so kind as to put his notes up um, from that event uh, and all the Skype for Business content that was presented there, so um, he's gone into a lot of detail around architecture and design considerations, um, video interoperability server, uh, how to upgrade to Skype for Business, um, and also some of the core server and voice improvements. Uh, and this guy, the Office 365 Summit is a series of events that's happening around the world um, through sort of first half of this year. Uh, I think the first one was in Mexico City, um, and there's one coming up. This week in Johannesburg, um, and then in March in Sydney as well, where um, all this Skype for Business content will be presented. Um, and it's a great way to get early uh, access to, to technical content for the new product. Um, and I think so, a lot of these <coughs> excuse me, Power, uh, PowerPoint presentations are downloadable now as well um, to check out for yourself. 
uh, but we'll include a link to the article, but it's, um, it gives a really good rundown and bullet point of uh, important things to know. Yeah, I noticed uh, last week a lot of the people that were there were tweeting some of the details, and I saw a couple of uh, uh, hurried uh, photos of some of the slides up on the up on the <laughs> wall, uh, popping out about um, you know some changes in architecture or features or whatever like that. So it was uh, lots of information out there, and, and this um, uh, this particular article about uh, you know that he, where he, uh, Link Dude showed his notes, um, I went through it. It's there's a lot of information in there. Um, it's mm. not it's not uh, really a narrative article. It's more of like a big bullet list. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of information in there. If you're thinking about uh, Skype for Business or wanting to see what's coming up, uh, it's definitely something to check out. Yeah, I mean this is pretty open book now. You know, there's tons of content in here that um, Microsoft just sort of throwing the doors open on. And you know there's a lot of questions that people have been asking in the last couple of months. Oh, is this going to be supported? Is this a feature coming? Um, and this is a good blog post that just lays it all out in one. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, thanks, Justin. Um, John, I, I thought immediately thought of you when I saw this tweet uh, out about connecting uh, if this if this then that to link and getting IMs when stuff happens. I figured this was right up your alley. So tell us about this. Yeah, well, this is uh, the article was uh, done by um, Modality's own Tom Morgan, who's if you guys you know we've talked about his stuff before, is really cool development type guy and write some really wicked cool stuff, but, um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, something that people have been looking for. I mean, you know, my aspect is, um, well, we just, you know, if you, if, I think we've discussed if that's than that, uh, in the past, but if, for those who haven't heard about it, it's a, it's a website that like allows you to, to leverage, um, other, com- other functions, other websites or things, APIs and kind of mash them together into like a, you know, if that's than that, so if something happens, then do something else. Um, and there's tons of, they, they call them recipes and, and um, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, for example, like I have the Philips Hue, you know, the you know Wi-Fi controllable lighting system right here in the house. So I have some things out there, like you know, if uh, if it, you know, I have a, a recipe that says go out to Weather Channel, and if it, the weather's going to be you know, rainy, turn all my lights blue. You know what I mean? And it and you know, and it works like a champ. It's it's totally cool and freaks people out the first time because they're like, wow, lights go blue. I'm like, it's going to rain. Watch. <laughs> and uh, or like you know, you can you know set it to I have one where like when it, when, a, when a stock goes over a certain amount. The lights go red, you know, for example. So, I mean, you can do all kinds of things like that. There's a million things. But so what, what Tom did was, like, basically hook up a, a, a thing where, you know, you can send something and have Link do something based on an email message. Um, and, uh, um, and you know, you can imagine the pros- you know, all the possibilities there. It's really cool stuff. Uh, you should definitely check it out. Um, and like I said, I mean, IFTT is, and it's a, you know, really slick HTML website, HTML5 website, so it's really easy to, to do these things. And a mobile app makes it, like, you know, two seconds you can have something cool and there's, like I said, there's a, a million different types of channels out there. But for me, the Holy Grail is at some point getting Hue and Link to talk directly together so that, you know, anybody could screw a light bulb in and get, like, Link presence, you know, with a cool, you know, with actual colored light. I mean, it'd be like, the, you know, the most simple solution to do that. But, I mean, I know people have been working on it. Um, that would be a huge deal for me because <laughs> that'd be really cool if you could just, like, you know, change. You know, even if you think about all the, you know, like, because we have, you know, blink lights and busy lights, but it'd be nice to just have a table, you know, a simple table lamp and just screw a huge bulb in it or any kind of programmable bulb, I guess, and uh, and have it change color when you pick up a call. I mean, that would be a, a totally cool, um, cheap way to do that, you know? So, um, and I haven't played with this, so, you know, maybe this is uh, something that's already been figured out. Uh, you mentioned... You know, an email comes in, and you know you can use it to trigger link presence or something. 
how is that email monitored? Is it a local API or is it a service that's watching your email and thus uh, triggers? I think it's 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 on IFTT manages that, so it's not local. I think it's you know you, you put in the the email address um, on the recipe. Is my understanding how it works? Okay, okay. I'd just be concerned about privacy, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you know, like, you know, your mileage may vary with anything, um, 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 with um, these kind of services, right? Yeah, if somebody gets my ITT account, they could make my lights go all kind, of, all, all kinds of crazy things, you know. <laughs> but, so you know, like, definitely be careful when you, when you do these. I mean, it's similar um, to like, you know, using these aggregate aggregate type services like with Twitter and Facebook, and that, like, I, I have. Uh, um, I had a uh, back in the, the day with the you know change uh, MCM program. You know there's a SharePoint site um, where people had content, right? And you know the, the the rule was, you know it was like you know security through obfuscation, right? And, you know no one knew about it, and um, and but it was publicly available. I mean you know, obviously had credentials, but still you know it was it was publicly available. But you know they didn't really want people knowing about it, right? So it was all like all hush hush. And I remember I had some kind of thing set up where I sent a message to the wrong thing, and that I had it set up so like it would automatically tweet and and put it on my blog and sure enough uh <laughs> i accidentally sent it out basically with this link to this this sharepoint site and sure enough i, I got a a a, a a a a less than polite message from um somebody that we all know and from the exchange product group who's <laughs> like you idiot because he had a he had like a google filter like you know to alert him anytime it, you know this if this this link ever showed up you know, here is my stupid name and a picture of my face with <laughs> the URL, which I promptly, you know, deleted that post. So, okay. but yeah, like anything like any type, anytime you play with one of these things, just be careful what you're doing because you know you never know what un- unintended circumstances, you know, or consequences you could have. Right, and I, I have seen um, tweets that had links, uh, and the link was an ift.tt link. And uh, my assumption has been that that was something that was triggered by, you know, one of the recipes um, as, you know, to shorten that. It, it was posted by, you know, one of the recipes. So, um, yeah, I, play I, I did a recipe. I did a recipe also. Um, I was poking around. I turned it on so that my lights would, like, cycle uh, colors every time the space station orbited over my house. But it orbits like 16 times a day, <laughs> which I didn't read the fine print. So, like, all the, like, so basically all day the lights were just going wacky, and I'm uh, like, I should probably turn that one off. <laughs> oh, so you could, like, you wanted to know so you could go out and moon them in case they were Well, you know, right, I, I thought it was cool. You, know, you basically put in your, your, your address, and, you know, it's like every time the International Space Station orbits over, you know, orbits over your house, it, you know, it do something, you know. It's <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Um, next up, um, there's a new cumulative update, number 15, if you can believe it, for Link Server uh, 2010. Not a lot of information out that I've seen about this. There is a, an update to uh, core services and the UM API. Uh, so if you're still running uh, Link Server uh, 2010, uh, do two things. Uh, check out the update and, well, upgrade already. I was going to say number three. <laughs> yeah, or at least get ready for uh, Skype for Business. Uh, next up. Uh, link regions and assigning dial-in conference numbers. This is uh, perfect timing. I just had a discussion with a client uh, last week about uh, what link regions are and how they kind of uh, come into play for dial-in conferences uh, or uh, dial-in conferencing numbers. So uh, Flinchbot came up with a pretty good article that kind of breaks down um, how regions work and how they affect different things and and things to keep in mind when creating uh, dial plans and uh, and things like that and and 
how you want your numbers to display and, and to which users do certain dial-in conferencing numbers uh, display. So um, really good. Has anybody else read this article yet? I have not. Okay. It's, it's a pretty good article. It's, uh, he goes into, you know, explaining why uh, you want different regions and um, how you can control it from a user perspective as to, you know, what shows up for different users. And uh, I, I can tell you that the reason why it was interesting to me is because I, I just had this conversation with a user or a, a, a client about um, provisioning some test numbers for dial-in conferencing, but making sure that only some users could see those test numbers. Um, and regions is the answer. So check it out. We'll have a, a, a link to that on the summary page. That's pretty much it for uh, link content. We've got two events to talk about. One is Ignite. Um, Everybody is invited to John's house. Woo. <laughs> so, no, actually, uh, Ignite, of course, coming up in May, the big event. Um, the link uh, content uh, info is up, as well as the exchange content, so you can check out what sessions are going to be available and figure out uh, where you need to be on what days. So check it out, and uh, we're hoping to, to see some of you guys there. Um, who's going? John, you're going, obviously. It's a, a walk, right? <laughs> yeah, well... Um, I, well, no, it, it could be as much as a two and a half hour drive, depending on the weather. But um, yes, I definitely will be there, and uh, it should be awesome. Okay, and who else going? Johan, you going? No, <clears throat> unfortunately, no, it's not. Not going. <laughs> uh, what, Justin, Tom, you guys going? Uh, I'm not too sure at this stage. Still, uh, jury's out. Yeah, doesn't yeah, it take think... you like a month and a half for you to get to the U.S. from Australia? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely yeah. It's fourteen hours to LA, and then yeah, whatever it is from LA to Chicago plus layover. So it's uh, an epic journey. Oh, okay. And Tom? Uh, yeah, I hope, hope to be there. Still a few things to line up with uh, with our marketing team, but uh, fingers crossed. Okay, good. And uh, who knows? Maybe I'll be there. Um, we'll look forward to, to seeing you. Probably uh, some of our guys wearing the black UC Architects T-shirts. So. Uh, and the other event is uh, Enterprise Connect. So if you've been in the telecom space for a while, this is probably a pretty familiar conference for you. Uh, March 16th through the 19th in Gaylord Palms, Florida. Enterprise Connect. Lots of vendors there, lots of sessions. It's um, It tends to be more across all kinds of uh, PBX vendors and, and related stuff as well as uh, some link stuff. So not just Microsoft Technologies. So. Yeah, and I expect uh, there might be some cool announcements there, too. So, so uh, if you're not going, I would um, look out at the news. There might be uh, some interesting link-related things. To I was there. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> I bet we see an announcement or two. So uh, it would be nice. All right. Well, that does it for, uh, for this episode. Uh, my thanks to uh, Johan, uh, John, Justin, and Tom. Justin, it's about darn time we got you back on this episode. Or on the, uh, the podcast. <laughs> so now we just got to get your, uh, your other colleague down there and... Uh, have an all all Australian uh, episode. Yeah, that's it. More of this, more often. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, thanks everybody. Um, again, the UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click to chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime for Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk and Chime and move your support operation from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via 
at Team Instant. And this UC Architects episode is also sponsored by Enow. Enow is offering all UC Architects listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install Mailscape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. Enow's award-winning dashboard helps admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscape's free 21-day trial or get a, and get a $50 gift card and see how Enow makes admin life simplified. Simply visit the link in the uh, summary page to sign up. And one last thing before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter via at theucarchitects. Uh, be a friend and like us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash theucarchitects, uh, and in our LinkedIn group. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us in the iTunes store, the Zoom Marketplace, uh, in our Windows Phone 8.1 podcast app, courtesy of our own Johan, uh, and, uh, or subscribe to the podcast uh, using your favorite RSS. See our website for links to everything on the show today, as well as uh, various ways to, to download the, uh, the episode itself. We'll see you back next week or uh, in the next episode with Steve Hosting. Steve Hosting.